Hi, this is Matt Finch of Frog God Games, and you're listening to Save for Half. School games and the modern games inspired by them. Everybody, it's episode four of the Save for Half podcast. Joining you as usual is DM Mike, who, if he were a game, would be the creature that ate Sheboygan. Joining me is DM Liz, who, if she were a game, would be the Rocky and Bullwinkle role-playing game. Hello, hello. And the guy who would be Toon, DM <laughs> Corbett, joins us as well. Or at least I'd be the son of Toon. Son of Toon. <laughs> <Dun, dun, dun. laughs> And we are covering Cyborg Commando from New Infinities Productions, a rather famous, or shall I say infamous, role-playing game that was written in 1987. We're going to take it apart, talk about it, and all sorts of good stuff. But first, a quick announcement to everybody. We are going to start doing a sort of sideshow podcast, <laughs> be clearly listed, where we will cover emails or do interviews. Because I know there are some people who like the game reviews but don't like the email shows or like the interviews and don't like the gamer email shows. This way... It'll be right on the tag. You'll know what you're downloading. So emails will be limited to those shows. Now that I've said that, we are going to totally break that by reading an email. Who should read the email? Who, 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 who should well, read it? Well, someone with experience, of course. Good experience, good experience, right? Yeah, yeah. Corbett! <laughs> And hand puppets. <laughs> oh. uh, that's you, Liz, I'm afraid. Because you got the rock, uh, you're the Rocky and Bullwinkle role-playing game, and it comes with hand puppets. Right. Okay. That's the thing. Email, email yes. to read, yes. Uh, okay, email, yes. All right. I read all the emails on the face of the earth. No emails were harmed in the making of this podcast. Alrighty. Well, the email that I'm about to read, apparently, <laughs> is from Bob Brinkman, and he wrote in to tell us that he was very disappointed that we didn't talk to Nick Seidler when we did our FASA Doctor Who episode. He says that he's the editor of the Diary of Doctor Who RPGs and is the font of all things FASA Doctor Who. He says all things Doctor Who in total, but especially the FASA version. Well, we did reference it. Yeah, we did reference the diary of Doctor Who, and there was a lot to read there. So I, I will say that 
Bob is spot on with that, just mm-hmm. reading over what Nick had to say about it. That was a big part of our research into the episode. Uh, anyway, regarding Cyborg Commando, Bob also says he was disappointed to hear the claim of Cyborg Commando being one of the worst games ever dragged back out. And he says that that was never the feeling when the game was out and that he wrote the first review for it in Gateway's magazine, issue number six. He says Cyborg Commando was and remains a very playable game that has gained a very unfair reputation. But we are going to be talking about Cyborg Commando this episode, Bob, and I hope that you don't hate us horribly by the time we're done with it. <laughs> for those that may be interested, Interested, Bob and his wife Jen are two of the hosts on the Sanctum Socorum podcast, mm-hmm. and we'll have a link to it in the show notes. They basically cover some games, but mostly the literature out of the Appendix N from the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide. So take a listen. Although I must take point with one thing that Bob said. In mm-hmm. 1987, I was in Longview, Texas, which is the back end of nowhere as far as <laughs> RPGs were concerned at the time, and I heard that it was an awful game. So it wasn't something that popped up later. We, at least, in the East Texas area were aware. I never actually saw or played it, mind you, but that was its rep, even at the time. Well, mm-hmm. I gotta say, I never heard of Cyborg Commando at all at the time. It was not until good 10 years later, at least, before I even knew that the thing existed in the first place. So it it didn't get on my radar at all during the time that it was being published. Mm. I remember remember an ad for it in one of the game magazines. I just can't remember which one. But yeah, it was one of those I'd seen but never really knew. Was it Dragon? No, it wasn't Dragon. (laughs) But I was always, like, picking up different game magazines after Dragon kind of became... Well, Dragon became its own thing. So, anyway. So, Cyborg Commando, yeah. that's a game, huh? It is Apparently. a game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well... Does anyone have any announcements before we head into Cyborg Commando? Well, specifically me and Liz need to talk to you, Mike, about the kiss makeup. You keep wearing kiss makeup to every podcast, and it's got to change. I vary the kiss member I put makeup on for. (laughs) That's true. I do appreciate the Peter Chris today. (laughs) Oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. I worked on that. But no, nothing. Okay. Well... (laughs) The only couple of announcements I'd like to make, Lauren Wiseman from Games Designer Workshop and Traveler Twilight 2000 fame died in February of 2017. Uh. And he did a lot of work both on the Traveler line, Twilight 2000, and the magazine, Journal of the Traveler's Aid Society and Challenger Mag. Everyone spare a moment of silence for one of the another one of the old-time grogs that we're losing. Speaking of that... In the old school plug department, after the Save for Half podcast came out, I was actually contacted, or okay, Liz was contacted because I'm not on Facebook, but a guy I used to go to middle school with who was a gamer, and I had no idea he was a gamer. But this, we're talking 1981, 82 here. So I just want to give a shout out to Michael Methvin. Hey, guy, wish you'd have said something about Boot Hill while you were at Washington School. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, and in response, yes, we do plan to cover Boot Hill eventually. So, all right, then, let's head into top five. The Save for Half. Five, four, three, two. 
five. Here we are. Here it is. Mm. It is a role-playing game. That yeah. is a true statement. <laughs> Does anyone have any background or anything they want to talk about the game before we start hitting top five? Well, I got to say, um, I was rather pleasantly surprised with Cyborg Commando. I went into reading the rules expecting to just be thoroughly disinterested. I was not excited about doing this episode at all, and I found it a much more interesting concept than I had expected to, quite frankly. So Corbett? I didn't even realize there was a game that didn't get made called Proton Fire, which has got similarities in concept, and that's all it was, was a concept, to Cyborg Commando. And I do kind of wonder, Grug, I think Grugnardia, the Grugnardia website, I believe, pointed it out. The blog? Yeah, and I, I thought that was intriguing. Yeah. So every game eventually becomes some other game somehow, so. True. Well, I looked in uh, Shannon Applegline's, uh, what's the name of it? Designers <laughs> Dragons, that's it. <laughs> Apparently, Gary Gygax just put out the outline of the idea for Cyborg Commando, and it was mostly written by Frank Mincer and Kim Moen. So I, I think I can see that a little. Like I was telling Liz, I almost got the idea that Gary was supposed to write the actual rules, while Frank and Kim pretty much emphasized the setting and the gear, because those areas are really fleshed out, and the rule system almost feels like it was just kind of tacked on quick before publishing. I don't know if that's true or not. Total supposition on my part. But that was the feeling I got reading it. And yes, as Liz said, it was better than I thought. Granted, I was starting from a pretty low bar, but yeah. Well, I was also doing some research, and there's an interview that a Ciro Alessandro Sacco did with Gary Gygax that is still available online on a website or blog called The Kingdoms. Actually, the interview was conducted at www.dungeons.it. It's an Italian website. Anyway, he did an interview with Gary, and Gary himself says there that Frank and Kim did the writing based on his outline. And he says in the interview, as I was then immersed in writing the last five Gord the Rogue novels, I could not spend any real design time on the Cyborg Commando RPG, and I know it suffered thus. Yeah, according to Designers and Dragons, New Infinities was kind of formed. Gary was encouraged by a former accountant at TSR to form New Infinities and promised him up to a million dollars in support from investors. Hmm. Gary Gary founded it, and this guy, Forrest Baker, I think his name was, he took off. Gary was kind of left holding the bag, but funding was always a problem for the company, and the Mm -hmm. only thing that was really selling were Gord the Rogue novels. So, in a way, Gary was kind of doing that to try to keep the company afloat. Hmm. So I can't blame him for not doing more on Cyborg Commando. I don't blame him either, but I do think, yeah, he's probably right. It would have turned out to have been improved if Gary had been able to spend more time on it as well. Yeah, it's not a bash on Frank and Kim. It's just, you know. I was about to say, I don't blame him either. It kind of reminds me of uh, Gene Roddenberry's third season of Star Trek, because he checked out that third season, and you get Spock's brain. Eh, what are you going to (laughs) do? Yeah, and 
when our any artist comes up with an awesome product, anything they do afterwards is always judged against that awesomeness and inevitably found wanting. Mm. So I think this would have been a big hurdle for Gary to basically capture lightning in a bottle twice anyway. So I'm willing to cut him some slack in that regard. Hey, you know, on a good note, let's say it's the worst game ever. I don't really think it is, but let's say it is. And that means <laughs> Gary has both ends of the spectrum. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> I think that would be a fair statement. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I suppose that is a way of looking at it. Okay, top fives. Liz, you start us off. Oh, yay. Okay, let's see. I guess I will start off with one of the things that really struck me when going over this, and this is apropos of nothing, but the premise of the game itself, I think, is one of the really strong points of the whole thing. And it reminded me of uh, Galaxy Express 999 anime series from back in the day. Only no trains. No trains. But you have a human elite, in this case, the cyborg commandos, having immortal robot bodies. And they don't really go into this much detail in the setting of the game itself, but I think you could tell a very similar story, like Galaxy Express 999, in the end, was an exploration of what it means to be truly human. Mm -hmm. And with Cyborg Commando, you can ask the question, would winning the war against the aliens ultimately mean that humanity has become like their oppressors, crafting themselves into whatever is needed at their individual whim? And I, I think there's a lot of potential for Cyborg Commando if you were going to want to push through in that direction. Okay. But that was something that just kind of stuck out to me when I was reading through the background and the setting of the game itself. Yeah, in Designers and Discourses, Apple Klein wrote that the setting was considered by a lot of people too dark. And, you know, it's against the odds kind of alien invasion of planet Earth. But, you know, considering in just a few years, World of Darkness came out, it's like, mm, I don't <laughs> see the dark here. Yeah. Okay. Corbett? I had a similar thought reading it, that it would be interesting if they had used the element from Vampire for humanity. Like, you lose humanity. You, you're trying to hold on to what humanity you have left, because essentially you're a brain in a jar. And that's right. got to be somehow psychologically messing with you. And they even talk about the trauma to the first cyborg and all that. It was interesting. Yeah, and... Even before that, there was the sanity mechanic in Call of Cthulhu. So yeah, you know, yeah. it was it was there, and yeah, I agree. I think that would, especially since the players are the cyborg commandos, and most of humanity are just NPCs trying to get along as normal human beings. So, but anyway, is uh, that your five, or he got another five? No, 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 that was her uh, five, or that was her five, right? Oh, my that five? was my five. Okay. Yeah, you were appending onto her five. <laughs> I was so. appending onto her five, but I was I'm I have my own five. <laughs> I've got plenty okay, of fives. Well, I've got like 25 let's, fives. <laughs> well, let's hear all five of your fives to 25. <laughs> Actually, I went to my primitive 11, 12-year-old brain and went with my first instinct of picking up the box when I first got it. I got it a couple years ago, but finger guns. How awesome is that? <laughs> <laughs> 
shoot freaking laser beams from your fingers. It's very Inspector Gadget. You have lots of mechanical parts all over you. And in a way, kind of a $6 million man. But it was like my first instinct was, hey, you got finger guns. Only thing that was a downside of that was you, you actually get it. They come out of your knuckles instead of your finger. But hey, you get what you get. So more Wolverine guns, you might say. Yeah, a little bit. Knuckle punch. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, my five also deals with the gear, or at least the the cyborg itself. I like the concept they have of the Mad Mac. It's a computer system built into the cyborg commando and holds data, but the cyborg, quote-unquote, has to learn how to access it over time. And this is a rationale because this is a skill-based game. Attributes are point by three attributes for the basic game, Nine attributes for the advanced game. That's a point I'm going to talk about later. But anyway, very skills heavy. And this is a good rationale for explaining how characters get new skills while in-game. Especially if it's something they haven't been doing. Like, my cyborg has just learned origami making. (laughs) How the heck did that happen? We've been fighting aliens. (laughs) Well, I just accessed my Mad Max, see? (laughs) I downloaded that information. (laughs) I think exactly. Today, so it, you know, it makes a certain amount of sense for that sort of thing. I, I think that's a cute game rationale for skill advancement. Well, I think today we might call that something like a cell phone, but you know, yep, whatever. <laughs> yeah, I googled that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hey, if only you got an app for your iTubes or your phone pads and <laughs> and all that stuff you kids best with today. Okay. Okay. Old coot off. Liz, number four. Number four. All right. Um, Something else that I found of interest was looking at the character generation. This is the basic. They have a basic character generation, and then you can make it even more crunchy later on if you want by what they call advanced character generation. And yeah, but I'm not touching that. I'm just going to go with the basic character generation for, for this. But anyway, there were elements in the character generation that were that struck me as being very similar to, say, building your thief skills in 2nd edition AD&D. You know, you've got mm-hmm. 60 points. You have to use a minimum number to do X. You can't use more than a max number of here. And also systems like champions with purchasing skills, as you were talking about earlier. Building a thief in second edition AD&D was one of the first things that I thought of when I was reading how to make your cyborg commando character with the skill points and placing them in your certain stats. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I could agree with that. Okay. Corbett? Okay, for mine, I'm going to follow along with Liz. I'm just going to copy her, because she's easy to copy off awesome. of. Awesome. And you know why she's easy <laughs> to copy off of? Because she's a woman. <laughs> yeah. As talked about... Because my ideas are better, so you have to copy them, because I'm a woman. <laughs> well, that's my number four, is that it's a little sexist, and specifically, I noticed that immediately. I mean, granted, older games are that way, and I, yeah, I let yeah. it fly. In a weird way, they're, like, subliminally sexist. The neural interface is supposed to be faster for women, and the, the men have stronger stats for their physical. Like, well, mm-hmm. you're a robot. Why would it matter? Wouldn't your physical all be the yeah, same? Yeah. And like, <laughs> what, why wouldn't all cyborgs be women if their neural interfaces are faster? That 
just and also the the story of the first woman cyborg that was essentially tricked into becoming a cyborg that, yeah uh-huh, yeah that was a like little her, weird she wants to make herself pretty <laughs> like her douchebag of a boyfriend slash yeah, inventor it seemed a tiny bit date rapey am i wrong <laughs> oh not just a tiny bit <laughs> But again, this is 1987. Oh, don't worry. You can reverse it. It's fine. Like, no, you can't. Your brain's in a jar. <laughs> he tricked me. It yep. was a bit. Uh, I mean, I, and, but yeah, I thought it was a little, a little. It was kind of bizarrely female lopsided because I think I would want to play a female. They have better, better options and more places Maybe to that hide was things. The point. <laughs> <laughs> Force guys to play female character. I don't know. And again, so other than the increased neural interface, what does it matter? Well, you're you still could... in just a big blocky cyborg. What seven, eight foot tall? Well, it was also suggested that the neural interface is higher. It was just the premise that it's like that. That's okay. I I just thought it was kind of funny and a, a little odd. <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. That's your four. That's my four. Okay, my four. I will say when I heard of Cyborg Commando. And the general premise. I frankly expected something very B movie-ish from the fifties or sixties. Hmm. Kind of like Star Frontiers had that feel, at least to the art. I expected something similar with Cyborg Commando, and it's not. They worked really hard with real science as much as possible, and they predicted actually several of the trends of robotics pretty correctly, at least as far as the date 2017 is concerned. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, They totally skipped the idea of the internet, but how many other sci-fi authors did, too? So, however, I do think 12 pages on the cyborg gear-working rationale was probably a tad much, Mm. for me, anyway. I thought the schematics were helpful to understand where things were at in the body, but at the same time, eh. Yeah. You know, (laughs) it's, again, a lot of flavor text. It's almost like, to me, it feels like this thing got a lot of setting detail, but not a lot of, the rules just seem kind of almost tacked on, honestly. But that's me. So, three, Liz. Three. (laughs) All righty. Okie dokie. Well, I guess before I get to my three, uh, I want to touch on kind of what you were saying about the timeline, how they seem to get a lot of things right. That sort of struck me when I was reading about the various blocks, especially talking about the the European Commonwealth and Oceania and all of the others. Transamerica Union, which (laughs) sounds like a faxing company. It it sounds like a transportation, Transamerican Union. You know, it's like train cars going. But anyway, it's very similar to the makeup or at least the makeup right now of, say, the European Union. Yeah. You know, it's a regulatory body created primarily for international commerce within its member nations, you know, trade agreements, etc. Yeah. So that kind of struck me, too, as something else that they saw. They or, extrapolated you know, from the European common market and yeah. went onward. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, a lot of thought went into what could conceivably happen in the future, and they weren't just throwing things out there. Well, wouldn't this be cool? Yeah, but the only one I would say really didn't work very well was United Africa. Mm-hmm. But Africa's been such a chaotic place since decolonization. Yeah, I, I can slip them some slack there, not calling some things. So, yeah, and well, I, I find it interesting that there are five major blocks, because... That was what happened in original Battletech. You ended up with five blocks. 
and you chose who to work with. But anyway. But anyway, yeah. But that was not supposed to be my number three. I just wanted to oh, know, okay. say, yeah, yeah, I noticed this too. Um, yeah. My actual number three. <laughs> Wait a minute. That means she um, gets six. Come on now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> women's stats. Um, yeah, but yeah, my actual number three, touching on what Corbett was saying about the stats for male and female. Why does it matter if you know you're a male or a female? Because you're you're all in the robot bodies, and, and that's the thing. When you're making your character, once you have become a cyborg, you are supposed to add 100 points to your character's physical stat. And that is what your actual stat is as a cyborg. And it really makes no sense. Why would your original organic body have any bearing on how strong you are once you've been placed in a robotic body? Because it's just your brain and a couple of glands. Everything else is a robot. So why would it matter if you were a 90-pound weakling beforehand or a bodybuilder? You've been put in a robotic body so it's like it's almost like they couldn't decide between putting a brain in a cyborg body or power suits Mm. yeah well if you're in a power suit that i could see where that would make sense to a degree unless you were taking into account that your brain tells you what you can do like if you don't think you're strong enough to lift something you won't be strong enough to lift something so that sort of psychological breakdown maybe Kind of a mind over matter sort of thing. In a really bizarre way, yeah. A psychic block. Yeah. You know, you, your body tells you you can't lift anymore because otherwise you'll hurt yourself. Well, like uh, uh, people who've lost their legs, they, they get them back through mechanical apparatus and they have trouble using them because psychologically they know they're not there or they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Right. Mm. On the other hand, if that was what was going on, why would you add 100 points to your physical stat? Because your brain would be telling you, you can't lift that car. That's ridiculous. (laughs) And that would have been a, a way of making the basic game even easier. Just have a flat cyborg stat set up and all you do is plug in, you know, the mental ones. Yeah. And you're ready to go. You know, and that kind of goes back to my number four about the the girl who was tricked into becoming a cyborg. Uh-huh. There, there are people right now that are lined up, signed up, and ready to go to Mars. Like a, a like 10,000 people list of people that are going to one-way trip it to Mars and may not even last six months, but they're ready to go. Like, you don't think there's 20,000 people right now who are like, yeah, put my brain in a jar, let's do it! Yeah, let's do this! <laughs> yeah, but again... There are many of those people I wouldn't want to have the power of a cyborg body. Mm. No, that's true. (laughs) I would assume they'd have some kind of psychological test to screen people out so you don't end up with a cybernetically powered... Psychopath, you know, yeah. Timothy McVeigh or Osama bin Laden. Well, but even with enough people, somebody would have to eventually qualify. And there's people who have, like, oh, sure, physical sure. limitations that would be like, yeah, I'll do it. Because, you know, being paralyzed all the way from the head to the toe kind of sucks. So Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm willing to take a chance. Yeah. That does you seem bet. like they missed some steps somewhere there. Yeah, or at least to come up with a rationale why that's not feasible. Ah, well, actually, okay. that's a great lead-in for my number three. All right. Psycho... Was it psycho... Psychogenesis? Psychogenesis, psychogenesis yeah. Psycho, psychogenics. Psychogenics, which is ah, okay. uh, power of the mind. It's an optional rule in the game, which is the power of the mind is has been increased, and you can telekinesis, telepathy, blah, blah, blah. You know the story. Psionics! Hey, no, no. 
Psychogenics. <laughs> totally different. These are science. I think this was a misstep. I like the idea. I think it's pretty cool. But I think they should have had, like, each of... Because uh, going back to Liz's partial two and a half or what, four and a half, where, I don't know what the number was. <laughs> okay. What, the, the, I don't know either. But the unions and everything, like, you know, you know the aliens are coming, because they, they had the, the preset in the history, the aliens are coming, we have to get ready, we've got to develop these soldiers to fight them off. Well, wouldn't each different union have their own version of what's going to be a good soldier? Like, wouldn't they have soldiers that are just decked out with mechanical gear and exterior exoskeletons, and then there'd be the cyborgs, yeah. then there'd probably be the fully genetic modified guys with the super psionic abilities, and, you know, that sort of thing. It's like, that's yeah. It seems like a big misstep as far as, like, that That would have been pretty crazy cool. Now, granted, you would lose the name Cyborg Commando at that point because they'd only be yeah, one. Yeah, Psychic Commando. Yeah. <laughs> well, you'd have options. You'd have a lot of... Yeah. As far as a player, it opens up from, you get to be the Cyborg Commando or the Cyborg Commando. Which, by the way, I know how the ending of the show is going to be when we ask us what we're going to play in this game. I'll give you a hint. It's going to start <laughs> with Cyborg. Cyborg Commando. Cyborg Commando. <laughs> well, didn't... If you had Psychic Powers... And were made into a cyborg commando. It helped you doing certain things. Yeah. In the cyborg exoskeleton. So, and you know, the min maxers will all insist to play psychogens. Well, that's the thing. I like the idea, but I think it should have been different scientific paths that everybody kind of went off on. And, mm -hmm. and some of them got integrated and, and mushed together, and they're not quite as good as either or, but they have both sides. And I think it would have been uh, interesting. That would have. Well, it would have gone into more of a class-based system as opposed to the skill point build system that this is trying to be right now. Yeah. I'm, I tend to, to like the class-based games a lot, but I, I think you've got a valid point. That would have been a very interesting way to do it, Have and they would be different quote-unquote classes that you could play. You know, yeah. I want to be this kind of commando, I want to be this kind, I want to be this kind. Unfortunately, in 1987, the trend in RPGs was everybody was desperate to get away from classes as, yeah. an, as a concept. That and I imagine Gary, especially at this point in time, was probably trying very hard to be different from the AD&D paradigm. Mm. Yeah. Because TSR will sue at the drop of a hat, and I believe TSR did try to sue him anyway. But, <laughs> for, you know, for Dangerous Journeys, yeah. yeah the game he worked but, on after this. Yeah, yeah, so I imagine he was probably doing a point build as much as to not be compared to how D&D &D was built as anything else. But yeah, I do think classes probably would have been a better way to go with this. At the very least, different builds of cyborgs so that yeah. you could choose through them. Choose your uh, chassis. Yeah. Yeah, like people did in Battletech. And I keep bringing up Battletech because <laughs> when it comes to the combat concepts and everything, I really see some Battletech here. Is this um, your number three or are you just saying something? I'm just saying something. No, okay, just so. say something. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, you're number three. That was my number three. Oh, that was your number three? Yeah. Okay, duh. <laughs> All right, well, my number three involves the combat system and the chassis. Uh -huh. I like the idea of dealing with the encumbrance system. I've never seen a game that actually does a good encumbrance system. But this probably does pretty well because you just have power units. When you're out... You're out. Your cyborg shuts down. Yeah, that was now weird. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, you could certainly tell, you know, okay, there's no tired versus half speed to quarter speed to unconscious. No, no, no. No, you're up or you're not. 
problem is so many of the cyborg commando quote-unquote powers that the cyborg chassis have blow through so much power that in just a few rounds of combat you could be out did you notice the power levels for the brain and the uh a mad mac because that was horrifying to me. No. If you run out of power, your brain and, and your Mad Max stay alive, but your brain has 180 days before its power runs out. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, and Mad Max can stay alive for five years. So, like, oh, you run out of power and you sit there like a broken doll. But you could sit there for 180 days waiting to die. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds horrific. <laughs> <laughs> going to result in a psychologically balanced person. Heck yeah. Yeah. And your Mad Mac can go a little nuts too if it goes too long before being powered back up. So that's always fun as well. Okay, maybe I'm seeing a bit of the dark here. No, no, no. That was was something I was thinking that would make a great story, uh, like like a remake of Apocalypse Now, but a guy, a general whose Mad Mac is the only thing left of him and it's like a ghost of his formal brain is still kind of holding on but it's it would be really cool gone super crazy yeah Yeah, that could be cool that would be a neat backstory but yeah but yeah it was just horrifyingly disturbing yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah the idea of utter sensory deprivation for 180 days Mm -hmm. i just nah all right well that's my number three liz number two all right Number two, they really, really want you to use the metric system in this game. (laughs) Really want you to use the metric system. (laughs) I think just about every sci-fi game from the 80s and late 70s wanted to use the metric system. Because they made it all spacey. Oh, but they go on and on. And I counted... And I may have missed a couple of spots, but I counted four separate places throughout the books where they say you should decide between using metric or English measurements. And every single time they say you really ought to choose the metric system because it's so much better and you can use the English system if you want. But we suggest that you try metric first because you'll like it so much more. And it's like. (laughs) Just they're just really pushing metric. Like the introduction in the Cyborg Commando player book, then in the character creation part of the book, then in the introduction <laughs> to the campaign book, and then in the reference tables section of the campaign book. Every single time, you really should choose the metric system. <laughs> why do I? Why do I sense that they could have? done an after-school special based on that (laughs) with the the friend, you know, Bobby, you really ought to use metric. (laughs) No, I don't want to use metric. You should. Bobby wasn't careful. He didn't use the metric system. Bobby made the wrong choice. (laughs) So, yeah, that couldn't help but stick out to me because I kept running into it over and over again. You need to choose between metric and English. The only right choice is metric. (laughs) Then why are you giving us a choice? Exactly. Why are you even giving the illusion of choice? You so obviously want us to use metric. Just say everything is in metric and be done with it. <laughs> if you don't choose metric, you are stupid and wrong <laughs> and will die. That's right. 
So that's your number two, eh? That is that is my number two. <laughs> okay. Corbett, what's your number two? Okay, this goes back to the laser thing. Like you, I was reading through the power use and going, holy heck, you start using your powers, you're going to really be laying there dead really quick. That's when I realized, hey, these guys are cyborg commandos, a military unit, and you can clearly see on the cover art, guys holding a rifle. I'm like, oh, so they'll use rifles, guns, armor, that sort of thing, <laughs> because they're a military unit. Then I went to look up, uh, you know, a quick reference chart to, uh, oh, you know, what would you, what would you call that? Gear? Yeah, let's call it gear. Yeah. <laughs> I had a hard time seeing... Accoutrement. <laughs> <laughs> I, I went out of the three books, in half of one book... The player's adventure notes, there is a short two-page run-through of generally what weapons exist and generally what they might and or might not do. Yes. As for the rest, you are told to go to a bookstore. Yeah. Yes, I remember that part. Because <laughs> they didn't know or have internet, so yeah, go to a bookstore. It, it's a lot of the post apoc games of the 80s. Not the Gamma World types, the ones that try to basically say it's 10, 20 years after a nuclear exchange today had that problem. Aftermath basically did the same thing when it came to just stuff. They tried to give categories of guns rather than specific guns that could be found. And even that took up like 20 pages. So I understand the problem of trying to stat out every single thing. You could give a little more, especially military goodie hardware. I think their vehicles was a paragraph of, there's vehicles, use what you want. Yeah. <laughs> Go to a bookstore. <laughs> <laughs> you want stats for these? What? What do you think this is? A rule book? <laughs> Which, again, gives me that feeling that they kind of ran with this game before all the rules were really set up. Of course, on the other hand, that does give maximum DM control. This is true. So that is a good thing. Now, I was just thinking, you know, I tend my personally to hand wave travel to an extent myself. So that's not necessarily a deal breaker if I was going to run a game, but mm. I know there are a lot of people who would want to know what are the vehicle stats. What kind of armor does it have if I decide I'm going to have aliens attack it, yeah. et cetera, et cetera? That goes yeah, back to is... Mike's idea for chassis, too, because you could just slap your brain inside of a tank, and then yeah. everybody yeah. jumps in the tank. Yeah, be a bolo. <laughs> yeah. Be a bolo. Be awesome. Yeah, a lot of the talk of the cyborg commando force reminded me of a lot of the bolo stories with the Dynachrome Brigade, except... They aren't brains. They're just highly sophisticated computers and tanks. Yeah. Of course, Commando, you know, I assume trying to infiltrate. Mm -hmm. Well, um, I also mm -hmm. thought of, did you ever read Anne McCaffrey's novel, The Ship Who Sang? Ship Who Sang, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and yeah. that was a... brain, but... Yeah, but, you know, you had a person. Her brain, Helva, was what ran the ship. Spock's so, brain. Yeah, yeah, so you had, it, it, was a, it was the same kind of concept, only she was just the ship's computer rather than having a cyborg body that would allow her to do stuff. But, you know, yeah, I thought of that, too, reading this. Okay, so that's your number two? Yes, go for it. I will say the advanced combat system was a bit of a slog, particularly the way they insisted on decimalizing every se 3.2 <laughs> seconds for per sub, sub phase of blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah. 
but I could live with that. What I did like in the advanced combat section is instead of hit points, you have integrity points in this mm. game. And the advanced combat system divvied up your total of integrity points to various portions of your body, which can get thus can get wrecked. Which again, battle tech. Very battle tech feel to me. I say that is a good thing. I liked BattleTech. But again, I think having several versions of the Cyborg Commando that you could pick, maybe like a reconnaissance frame or a heavy combat frame or yeah. a flying frame or something, that I think that people would have really gotten into that. Well, and you could swap it out so you wouldn't always be the heavy. You could be the stealth guy mm. or it'd be yeah, a lot you of could fun. Just, yeah, you could pop it out depending on your mission load. Yeah. Yeah. Um, underwater capabilities if you mm. have to go into the ocean, you know, all yeah. kinds of stuff. No, they have underwater capabilities. Yeah, and but space, I mean, you everything can... has t- underwater capabilities and some kind <laughs> <laughs> for a little while, anyway. <laughs> Getting onto that, you know, you've got that huge laundry list of skills that you yeah. can have your cyborg character choose, many of which seem to have no bearing whatsoever on what would be useful to a cyborg body. Is like, that your one? or, or are we no, gonna... I'm, no, I'm just talking about, you know, yeah, you can do the underwater thing, but, yeah. you know, there's all kinds of yeah. stuff that you can conceivably do that just, like, why would you choose that? Okay. Now you're number one, Liz. Alrighty, number one. Ah, the Xenoborgs. They, the bad they were, guys. Yeah, or I mean, the Russian spoiler alert. <laughs> you know, they're not the ultimate bad guys. The Xenoborgs are being controlled by something else. But as far as you are aware, as a cyborg commando character, you know, the Xenoborgs are it. I, I thought they were a pretty cool concept, and you know, I keep talking about how I am reminded of other books and shows and things while I was reading through this. The Xenoborgs reminded me very much of Scott Westerfeld's Leviathan series, where the Darwinians grow their airships and their other tech organically. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what the Xenoborgs are. They have been grown by their master alien race that they serve without realizing to do the things they do. And they themselves also grow other beings to act as, okay, these beings are going to be our living organic bases. Mm. These beings are going to be our living organic spaceships. You know, everything is grown. They're not yeah. built. Did you, I, I um, thought that was pretty awesome. <laughs> do, do you feel kind of cheated about four alien races when it's actually just three? Because the power battery, the powers, power... Oh, yeah, the plant, yeah. planty power... <laughs> Our creatures. They're amorphous. They have no limbs. They're just a big blob, something single-celled, and they generate power. Like, so do you talk with them? No. No. <laughs> they're there to explain an organic power source. That's it. Like, I, I get the idea. I understand they're another race, but eh. The xenomorgs are like six-foot-long dust mites. Yeah. Yeah, there was a very cool little aside talking about how the aliens came up with how what are we going to make these things look like to scare people and how they had initially thought of you know these different things but dismissed them and the demonic one they had dismissed because of a very popular role playing game where people fought these sorts of beings <laughs> and defeated them so, so they decided no we're not going to do demons it's like Traveler. Oh, what role playing game would that be traveler <laughs> 
I liked how the dust xenoborgs intentionally grew portions of their body to look like a head, specifically to draw human fire. Mm-hmm. It was unnecessary, but it caused the humans to aim for it so that the main body would. And the more they were damaged, the dumber they got. Yeah. I thought that was cool. Kind of interesting stuff. I always thought they should have, like, I, I, I figured they would have, like, a stealth version of, like, a small infiltration unit or something that, that essentially would be a humanoid looking thing that would either yeah. polymorph itself into humans. So then the, the commandos. Because that was the other thing I kept thinking about. Why do the commandos have to be human shaped at all? Why can't they be giant spiders or anything else? Because they, they're just brains in a jar. Eh, sorry. That yeah. sounds like I'm complaining about it. It's just more of a. It's an afterthought. <laughs> That's fine. And so we'll go to you for number one. You know what this game needs and every game needs? About six Mark pages. Singer? No, no, no. About six pages about the world population. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Was, I was really hoping to get more information about what the world population is for, say, 10, 15, 20 pages or so. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this feels like a supplement book, you know, that just had some rules tacked on. Uh, it reminds me of Morrow Project, where they give like six or seven pages yeah. of every single city in the United States and whether it was hit with a nuke or not or nearby and then, you know, percentage of damage and everything. It's like, wow, that's rather more data than I need. A little bit. Little, little seemed just. I mean, it was interesting. It was interesting information to have, but at the same time, mm-hmm. seemed really arbitrary. Are need, yeah, are you going to need it? <laughs> Bit of petty. Okay. Well, I can certainly see that. Okay, my number one, Teleborgs. Oh, the Do-do-do. big ships that carried them here and then landed to become bases. Yeah. Specifically, I think it's in the campaign book mm-hmm. where they're telling you how to build your own. Teleborg, because apparently they're not uniform. Is it just me, or did that feel an awful lot like the random dungeon generator in the DMG first edition? Hey, you're you're, you're making your own dungeon. (laughs) I did not really draw that comparison. That's really funny. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying they ripped it off. It's a different system. No, but But I see it now. The end result is you're building a dungeon (laughs) for your cyborg commander to go in and blow crap up in. I'm not saying that's good or bad. It just struck me at, with the rolls and stuff. Hey, wait a minute. You're mapping <laughs> out a dungeon, sort of. Mm-hmm. So that that's what stood out to me as the number one. All right. Well, unless we want to hit any final points, we'll go to a commercial break and then hit our best, our saves and fail saves. Of which there are many. But <laughs> <laughs> well, we only get two. Last night, I journeyed backwards in time to the medieval world of Dark Tower. In this amazing game, I had to find three keys, lay siege to the tower, and defeat the enemy within. Each move was a challenge. The computer kept track, giving me secret information, pictures, sounds, surprises. Then, ahead of my opponent, I made my move. The battle was joined, and I was victorious. DM Jim here with a mini editorial. The Safe for Half crew have asked me to do these once in a while, so here's one on one of my favorite topics. Why do some people feel like it's necessary to gatekeep any hobby or industry? This is a widespread internet phenomenon, and I'm sure you've encountered it for yourself. And it is certainly not limited to just tabletop gaming or even old school gaming. 
I don't ever get into most of these online discussions because they generally don't interest me. I am very interested in discussing game design, game mechanics, game engines, and even target audiences and marketing and the advertising and promotion of games. These are topics I have a vested personal interest in, and plumbing their depths is a lot of what I like to discuss with my close friends and uh, industry co-workers. And that's exactly one of the ways I usually try to parse out one of these discussions when it unexpectedly begins to devolve into the old, we're doing it right and you're not kind of rants. Anyone with an informed opinion can debate game mechanics and game design. That's usually just math problems and writing challenges. Sales and marketing discussions can be a little trickier and usually require some prior experience and knowledge in the field, but anyone can count, and the numbers don't lie. If a game sells a lot of copies, someone is buying it and enjoying it, so somebody must have done something right somewhere along the way. You can debate these things, whether one game mechanic or rule delivers the desired result in play, or another does the same thing better, easier, or not. You can discuss whether a game is selling enough to warrant further expansions, and so on and so on. What you cannot debate is individual playstyle preference. There are as many of those as there are individual neurochemistries, uh, media consumption histories, and gaming experiences. All of us like what we like, and we know it when we see it. I really think that's what's being, and I'll be kind here, discussed in some of these internet forum knife fights is what people actually prefer to play. They often turn into a clash between, I like to play this, and you like to play that, followed in a lot of cases by, you should like what I like. As they say in my homeland, I don't even have a dog in that hunt. Maybe that's because I still remember when playing tabletop games was equivalent to social suicide, at least among most of my high school peer groups. Maybe it's because I still remember that burst of joy I felt in college when I found a whole group of people who liked to play games. Back then, that seemed like a very rare and very cool thing. And I didn't even have a playstyle preference back then, because I was just so happy to have gaming friends I didn't care if we were exploring dungeons or I was getting my ass handed to me by the 7th Panzer Division by the local wargaming guru. I was just happy to play. Those feelings have never really gone away. My primary motivation today is still mainly one of gratitude because I am so grateful, as never before, for the embarrassment of gaming riches that surround me every day. There's never been a better time for gaming than right now, this minute, when we've got so many tabletop games and so many flavors all easily accessible. Gaming and tabletop culture are more mainstream than ever. Small publishers can put out a product for every taste and every preference, and even old favorites are increasingly reprinted and re-released for the masses. Thanks to information technology, even you as an individual can write and publish a game and then share it with the world. The geeks have inherited the earth. So how does it affect me personally when any number of other people like and play or promote a particular kind or type of game that's not my personal cup of tea? I'll tell you how it affects me. Not at all. Want to hear more mad rants like this? Write the show and let them know. What makes the save and what is going to take half? It's saving throw time. What makes the save and doesn't make the save? And because I picked on Liz earlier, we'll start with you, Gorbett. You never volunteer for yourself, do you? <laughs> One of the advantages of being lead host. I get to go last. I know. Um, yeah, you should know. Okay. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> failed failed to save. I would go with, I, I really don't want to not like it, but I kind of don't like the percentage 
multiplier system. I understand their reasoning yeah. that they have a percentage dice. Well, it's sort of a percentage dice, but using a multiplier. Sort of, yeah. And I understand their reasoning to change the probability to an easier mode, but I, I kind of think it would have been easier if it was just... A D10. Sloppy a little bit, but I get frustrated with Fasa and Call of Cthulhu with percentage dice for everything when you could just do it with a D10. Yeah, there's a lot of times when I'm playing in a percentage type game that I'll just roll 1D10 and that's the 10s. Yeah. So, for instance, if I got like a 28% chance to do something and I roll a single D10 and I get a 4, it's like, it doesn't matter what the next die is, I, I failed. Yeah. It was certainly a different system. I can't think of another game system that does the die and multiple. It was unusual. And they spent, what, three or four pages trying to explain, like, why it's important. Okay. Yeah. You could just yeah. say it's and a rule. Graphs. <laughs> and graphs. And graphs. <laughs> yeah, it's old school. Gotta have graphs and tables. <laughs> See? Lots we have of- charts. Yep. So, okay. Now, what's your makes the save, Corbett? I love the world. I think with some touches, it could be really cool. Basic example, the aliens show up on the moon and we have so much time to kind of prepare before they attack Earth. I think they should start hitting Pluto and the outer... Okay, presuming Pluto's a planet, but whatever. It's Um, a planet. It hits the outer planets and starts ripping stuff out. Some kind of special mineral or who knows what. And we see it coming and we know it's coming and the military starts bandering up and getting ready and then we go into it that would be kind of cool i think the like the xenoborgs probably should have been all organic and not like half organic half mechanical that seemed a bit odd and the 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 cyborg should be multiple types of cyborgs so you can swap out your capsule i think they were trying to basically make an alien equivalent to the cyborg commando so everybody who's fighting is kind of cyborgy but yeah i guess it's yeah Uh, the the world concept is really fun i think the idea is it's pretty cool it's like, hey, you're a group, you're you're like super spies because you have superpowers and you're commandos, so you're on a secret mission. I would love to see cyborg commandos in like 2010 or 2005, you know, when they're just getting started and, and, mm-hmm. and doing their first surgical strikes, actually commando-like, because they're probably trying to hide it from the public at some point, you know, before um, the initial war. They talked several times about how they were planning on doing their, you know, there's going to be another box set called Cyborg Champion, yeah. and there's going to be a supplement about the lunar base. You know, I think they really wanted to do more detail into the world setting, mm. but the initial sales and the the fate of the company just never allowed that to happen. So yeah. I, I kind of think that they probably wanted to do much the same thing that you're wanting as far as, you know, giving people more to play with, with the past and the future and just along the timeline. Okay. Well, Liz, what's your best worst? Your save and don't make the save. Okay. Make the save is ironically what Corbett listed as having failed the save. I really <laughs> liked the D10X system. I like the fact that your results tend to cluster around the lower end of the range. Your gains at low levels are higher than once you get into the higher levels. You have so you rapid advancement to begin with and it tapers off as you get to the higher level. But I guess my favorite part about it is the progression of the advancement has a nice irregularity to it which to me gives more of a realistic feel than your standard bell curve of the D100. If I was going to take any specific game mechanic of Cyborg Commando and port it into another game for any reason, it would probably be the D10X system. I thought that was 
one of the better mechanics out of what mechanics you got out of the game. And that kind of segues into what I thought failed the save was... <laughs> the exact same I, thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I think we've touched on this a little bit throughout the episode already, but I feel there was far too much attention given where it was not particularly needed, such as pages upon pages detailing the cellular structure of the aliens, mm -hmm. pages upon pages detailing how Q-space travel works, pages upon pages detailing how many, what the populations are of every major city on every major continent before and after the alien attack. There was not enough where it was needed, fleshing out the actual game mechanics, the descriptions of the skills, giving you descriptions of stuff like weaponry that you could carry apart from your finger gun. And, <laughs> and it's like, I, I just got the impression that they were so in love with the science behind what they created that they went down th into the rabbit hole of oversaturation. Hmm. And the game mechanics suffered for that. So that, that was my fail to save for Cyborg Commando. I can certainly agree with much of what you said. Part of what makes a game like this good is, you know, to a large degree, leave the aliens mysterious. They mm -hmm. can do this. You don't know why. Uh, wait for a supplement, you know. <laughs> or as a GM, you can make it how it rationalizes in your campaign. But anyway, hey, all right. In, in my defense, my. I did say I didn't want to not like the D10 or D10X system. <laughs> I, it's just frustrating, and it was a little distracting for me. In the end, there is no one system to rule them all, honestly. You know, you've got different systems that are good for different things, and tastes vary. So, Which, of course, means you're wrong, Corbett. I know. Anyway. <laughs> well, it's because Liz is a woman and has five extra better in her neural interface, so... Mm. Damn skippy. <laughs> okay, my makes the save. Something that I enjoy from science fiction of the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and role-playing games, is when they give timelines of events. Mm. And it's usually stuff like, in the year 2000, half the po Earth population are living on the moon, or comet travels between the Earth and the moon in 1997, unleashing cosmic destruction. No. You know, all this stuff that we're in 2017 and chuckling, oh, I must have missed that, because, you know, they don't really know the future. But in Cyborg Commando, things only start getting weird. I kid you, you can look. <laughs> 2017. Yeah. And what they're talking about, the technology for the human mind to give computer commands to machines, we actually did like 2009, 2010. Yeah. Some people in Britain. It's just very still lab oriented. But the thing is, you could give this game to a modern gamer and he would look at the timeline and it wouldn't freak him out you know the, the stuff is still in our future so in that regard i think it really it would be a viable game today that wouldn't cause people to sniff and go oh we are so not living on the moon in the year 2003 you know that's a mm. where's my flying car <laughs> <laughs> And as far as the cybernetics and everything, I believe Frank and Kim did a very good extrapolation of our own military search for powered armor and assisted combat stuff, the land warrior system they've been working on. 
again, I think they really knocked that out of the park. This is a game I think you, like I said, you could sell today, and it wouldn't freak people out as an anciently old game. Doesn't make the save. This will come as no surprise to anyone who knows me or heard me on the other podcast. <laughs> the frickin' skill system. <laughs> <laughs> Not the not the resolution system, you know, that zero to ten, that's not bad. They get so nitpicky in what skills they have. There's a domestic skills subsection, with one of the skills being sex. Mm-hmm. What it's like- the frack is a cyborg commando gonna do with housekeeping <laughs> or sex? It's a robotic chassis anyway. Yes. Well Mike, you didn't pay for the upgrade in your cyborg? <laughs> no, I knew there was an app, but I never downloaded it. Ah, uh, just uh, uh, too many skills. Skills they don't even bother describing a lot of. Mm-hmm. They just give them. Granted, well, sex you really don't need a description for. Thank God. <laughs> See, that was it. They didn't want to have to describe sex, and so therefore they gave no descriptions for anything, so that it wouldn't look. <laughs> Weird that they skipped over describing sex, sex. Uh, <laughs> or housekeeping, or yeah. Well, actually, I was a little thrown by the uh, the criminal activity too. Why would you? You're not going to be infiltrating anything, or I mean, if like, you are. You're breaking through the the Xenoborg door security system or something, picking a lock. <laughs> no, we're we're Xenoborgs. Buzz, buzz. Look at us. <laughs> <laughs> Candy Graham. Yeah. For huge wads on these little tiny legs. <laughs> okay, but anyway, that's that's my stuff. That's everybody's stuff. Yeah, pretty much. That wraps it up. So, as a way of going out, Corbett, would you play Cyborg Commando? Oh, I, actually, I was wanting to run it at the next North Texas, but honestly, I'm a little scared to. And I figured if I changed it enough, it wouldn't be the same game anymore. So, well, if Bob Brinkman's listening, maybe he'll run it, and we can get in on the game. That'd actually be pretty cool. Play. Yeah, they do need more games at North Texas. So if anybody's out there, come and run <laughs> a Cyborg Commando they, game for us. <laughs> they need more games Friday and Saturday night. They got plenty of games during the day. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody wants to be free to play, but then nobody's exactly. there to run. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> okay, Liz, would you play Cyborg Commando? I would play it. I'm, I don't know that I would want to run it because I think it would make my head explode as <laughs> as written. I would like to play it with someone else who's familiar enough with it, running it to kind of dip my toe in to see. But yeah, like I said, I really do like the, the world setting. All of us pretty much agree that it's a very interesting setting for the game. And I'd be willing to to play in it no matter what kind of rules you were using for it. I think it'd be fun. If Gary were still alive, re-releasing this as a D20 Modern supplement or a GURP supplement, I think would work very well. Well, Savage Worlds is popular. Savage Worlds, too. Yeah, Yeah. that'd be another one. As for me, yeah, I'd play it. I don't know if I'd play in a campaign. It would depend on how the first couple of sessions went. But yeah, yeah, I'd play it. Well, but Mike, what kind of character would you play in it? Well, glad you asked. Because I would play a cyborg commando. No. What would you play, Corbett? I would play a cyborg commando and Spartacus. (laughs) (laughs) Just spray painted on there, Spartacus, and so am I. (laughs) Liz? What would you play? I would play 
Wait for it. Borg. Are you okay over there? Holy crap, my headset flew off as I dropped my head back and laughed. Oh my gosh. Liz, <laughs> you blew his mind. <laughs> I would play a Xenoborg. I would be the Xenoborg Emperor. I don't think they give rules for that. Uh, well, it doesn't matter because I know from reading all about the culture and that the biggest one of them is in charge. So, like Invader Zim, you are the almighty tallest. And therefore... <laughs> Silence! I would be a Xenoborg. I'm okay. pretty sure the rules for playing a Xenoborg are right by the rules for using a gun. Oh! Okay. <laughs> Yeah, I missed that part. Uh, my head exploded after the skills, so. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be here, same bat time, same bat channel. Say goodnight, everybody. Night. Good night. Briark. <laughs> but that's a cyborg Briark. <laughs> and we are out. Texas is like the supreme headquarters. Oh yeah, world. Dallas. Yeah, I mentioned Dallas was like the capital of Transamerica. Yeah. <laughs>